Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I am your host, Lindsay Wardell. With us today is Austin Gill. What's up, what's up, from San Diego. And Steve Edwards. Hello, from Portland. How are you both doing today? Doing well. Fabulous. A little better now with some sunshine and warmer weather we're getting here. Yeah, it's been nice. Although the uh, 30 degree differences between morning and afternoon are not pleasant for me. Oh, yes. Yeah, I love walking out with frosted windows and, and very cold mornings. Yeah, yeah. We, got, we got some rain down here, so it's always good when it rains here. Are you guys been like abnormally dry or just normal dryness? Uh, normal dryness, but you know, this is Southern California is practically a desert, so it's always good when we get some rain and just kind of replenishes and renourishes and uh, helps stave off some of the fire chances. Always a good thing. Are you stuck at home climbing the walls when you should be hanging out with the community at the latest conference to get canceled? Are you wondering where to hear your JavaScript heroes like Amy Knight and Douglas Crockford and Chris Heilman? After the cancellations, I decided to put on a JavaScript conference for you online. I invited my favorite folks from around the web and got them to come speak at an online event just for you. Go to jsremoteconf.com and check out our speakers and schedule. The conference is on May 14th and 15th. Come join us at an online conference that we guarantee will keep you safe and keep you informed. jsremoteconf.com so for those listening, we are having a panelist episode today. And recently, Austin was at, uh, it was ViewConf, right? Yeah. Yeah, in Austin, Texas. And it sounds like you gave a talk about communication between view components. Am I correct in that? Yeah, so I submitted to give a few talks and I was selected to give a talk on the different ways that view provides us to communicate between components. I didn't know I was giving the talk until the day before, so it was really fun uh, writing that and presenting the next day. And you didn't get good communication about talking about communication? Is that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good communication between components, but not the best communication between uh, speakers. But it worked out. Got some compliments, and no one yelled at me, so that was good. Awesome. Before we, We'd like to talk with you about what you talked about. Uh, but before we do that, how was ViewConf in general? I've never been to a conference like that, so I'm curious. Yeah, it was it was good. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was cool to to meet some of the people that I've talked to on Twitter, but in person. I think the I think the hosts did a good job, or the MCs did a good job, kind of keeping things going, keeping people entertained. Yeah, overall it was good. The after parties were a lot of fun. We did some karaoke with with Evan and everyone, and that was good. Ooh, so now you're name dropping. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Me and Evan, you know, we're like, we're tight. Not even using a last name, just the first name. It's Evan. Yeah, we're on, we're on first name basis. At least I am. Um, <laughs> I don't think he knows my first name, so, yeah. <laughs> Maybe next time. So let's, let's dive into our topic today about communication between view components. Cool. Should I, should I kick it off? I mean... Go ahead. It was like a it was like a ten minute lightning talk, but we'll we could probably stretch it out. But there's a lot that wasn't I mean, covered, you know. I'm sure we'll be interrupting and asking questions. So I guess I kind of started with um, the most basic introduction to interacting with components. We we'll try to keep it a little bit out of the weeds since we don't have the medium of video for looking at code. But the the most I think the first place that people talk about communication between components is going to be props and events, right? So you have like a, a parent component, maybe it's like a page, and then you you import some component in there and you want to be able to change some content in that child component. And so generally, view or you would register props that that child is expecting to receive. And then you can pass in basic values like a number or a string or an object. And then the child component can take that prop and do with it what it wants, right? So where before you might have a, without props, you kind of have a, a static component that looks the same everywhere. Uh, you could have a component like a, a little alert that takes a string of text and presents that in the markup somewhere. So that's, that's like information coming down from the parent. And then if you want to send information back up to the parent, like let's take this alert example and maybe there's a, a little close button so you can dismiss it. 
you can listen to the, the click event on that button in the child component. And then in that child component, you can use the emit dollar sign emit method to emit any sort of custom event up from the child to the parent. And then the parent can uh, update some information based on, on that event. So in the same way that you have the at click handler um, in view, you could use the at whatever your custom event name is and then attach that to some event handler. Yeah, we use this at work a lot uh, with our custom components. So we'll have a, we'll pass down the props and then pass up custom events like close or troubleshoot or added component, something like that. I use it quite extensively too, sort of the same way with the events. Yeah, I mean, it's like anyone that's probably listening. This is not <laughs> this is not uh, the most advanced thing. Um, you get into props and events pretty early on, but you know, you still got to mention it <laughs> when you're giving a talk. Yeah. yeah, I think one thing worth mentioning, Austin, is that um, is that you it's easier to pass up multiple levels than it is to go down. You know, if I have components A, B, and C, where A is my top level, then B inside A and C is inside B for some reason. You know, as really happens. Um, if I'm passing props, I can't go directly from A to C. I got to pass it to B and then from B into C. Um, but if I'm emitting an event from C. I can catch it in A without necessarily. Oh, really? I in B. Wait, you can? I do it all the time. That's a game changer. That's awesome. Yeah, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, That's so what we have, I'll give you, I'll try to describe it as best I can, is, is this administration tool that, admit, that you know, contains administration, passes it all to a backend that's stored in MySQL uh, with the Java REST API. A typical form will have a top and a bottom part. So the top is the form. The top part is a standard form for editing different pieces of the data. Um, the bottom portion is a listing, just a you know listing all your different items that you can edit. So you know fairly standard boilerplate stuff. Within the bottom portion um, is embedded in the top, and it's a you know some sort of table, and it has customized. That's where you have some customized stuff for that particular table. And below that is a base table component. So it's the base for all of these listing portions. And so for instance, um, you have different rows and those items are passed into the base table and then there's a row click event. So anytime somebody clicks on any row using this base table component, it sends a click event. Well, there are multiple times where in the customized version that's embedding you know, table component above it, doesn't do anything. It's not until it gets up to the top level form component that we actually do anything with that component. So it's not like a property you'd have to pass from A to B and then B to C. You can just emit it from C and, and if you're you know embedded, assuming you're embedded within your other components above it, then you can catch it up in A. Do you know if, I mean, that just makes me think of regular JavaScript events and how you could run into issues with JavaScript events um, bubbling up to parents that you don't actually want them to you know, like registering a click event on a on a grandparent, I guess, and then on the child is where, or the, the grandchild is where you actually want to listen to the click event and tie it to the correct click handler, but you don't want that event to sort of bubble up to the grandparent, and you need to, you know, stop propagation or whatever. I wonder if you would run into things like that with Vue, because I, I mean, I think with Lindsay as well. Like I thought that events you kind of would have to listen to the event in a parent. If you wanted to go from grandchild to grandparent, you'd have to listen in the parent and then just emit that event up to the grandparent and then listen in the grandparent. No, that's not the case. I mean, I think in this particular case, you just have to be really careful with how you name your events. So like, for instance, from this base table component, I'll emit a row click event. And then mm -hmm. in my uh, form, I can catch that row click event. I assume if I was, you know, there are other... There's a whole tree of components that, in a way, this particular application is structured. And so if I wanted to catch it above that, I probably would. So I assume there's probably some risk there, but uh, in this particular app, we've got some pretty good, you know, uh, standards in terms of how we named events and making sure that, you know, we're not catching them all over the place. But the nice thing about that is that you're not having to pass things on all the way up the stream, the yeah. stairs, shall we say. Yeah, totally. There's like this, the concept of, prop drilling, which is, you know, passing from a very far up parent all the way down to the very far down or uh, descendant. And like, yeah, I mean, if you need to pass props all the way down, you kind of have to do 
this concept of prop drilling with Vue, you can make it a little bit easier because you can just use the V dash bind and pass the um, dollar sign props property, I imagine, so that you don't actually have to say like, you know, list out all of the props necessarily. Yeah. Have you done that that with the dollar sign props? Uh, I haven't actually done that. It's kind of just conceptually like uh, V dash bind, you can pass an object and or, right, right. Or a reference to an object, and it will pass down all of the properties and the objects. So I would imagine that you could just do that with props. I will have to try that. Hadn't thought about using the the dollar sign props object for that. Yeah, I mean it, it depends. Um, it depends how much you actually have to pass down. Like it could get to the point where you have, if you're listing each prop out individually, and you have twenty of them. I don't know. It could get a little bit unwieldy. True. So yeah, I guess uh, the only thing that I wasn't able to mention in my talk is things like custom V models, something worth looking into if you're doing this, where you want to take advantage of the V model uh, syntax, pass a prop down and receive an event up. Basically all it's doing under, all view is doing under the hood with V model is like exactly that, passing a prop down and then listening to an event up. And by default, it will pass it'll use the prop value and listen to the event input. So as long as your child is uh, receiving a prop called value and then emitting an event called input, you can use V model, but you can customize that. So it uses something that makes more semantic or has more semantic meaning or makes more sense than, than value and input, depending on your child, you could yeah register a custom V model. And Lindsay, I think you had, uh, you had mentioned before on one of the, the podcast, the prop sync modifier. Yes. Did you talk about that in your talk, by the way? I didn't. I mean, most of the stuff, it was, it was 10 minutes and I was like, it was 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot. So That's yeah, I didn't, I didn't get into the prop sync. Yeah. This is one of my favorite modifiers with V bind. When you're writing out your V bind, you could instead do V bind colon the value that you're wanting to pass title, for example, from the, the view docs dot sync equals the the value that you want to pass down as the prop. What this will do in the child component is it'll pass a prop of title in this case, and then you can pass up an event of update colon title as the, the event name and the value. And on the parent component, it will act very similarly to a V model, where it will just pass the data down, sync the data back up at listening to that particular event. So that in my child components, I typically write a getter and setter that mimic that so I can have a single object that I just work with with regular um, equal sign setting of the data. Makes it really, can, can really think, easy to work with in props. Can you think of when you would use when you would reach for that instead of just a V model? I reach for it primarily I reach for it in forms. So if I if I have an object that I'm passing down into a form and it's got like three different input fields like name, title description, something like that. I would pass that entire object down with vbind.sync, and then all of those would then just sync up to the, the parent component. The example that they give in the view docs is typically for objects, so that mm. you can pass down objects as a prop and then pass it back up. Um, yeah, because the with a with a V model, you would have to emit the input event with a completely new object, right? Like a, yes. an object yes. containing all of the an object yeah. containing all of the three values instead of just like, if I make a change on the title input, um, I can just emit update colon title, and then that will update the object instead of emitting up the whole entire object with the three properties, right? I believe that, I believe that works. Yes. Uh, what, I, <laughs> okay. what I actually do is I pass down the whole object. I don't do the just the v.bind or the v-bind. Mm-hmm. I, I pass the entire object down as a prop, and then I have my emit update object, whatever I call the object, to, and then I just do a spread operator to make sure on each of those fields getting updated that the, the current object is getting passed up properly. So you are passing up the whole object? I'm passing up the whole object, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I pass the object down to the, to the, the child, and then I pass mm-hmm. out each of the, the fields to their own components as necessary. Right, and then when, if, when one of the field updates, you pass back up the entire object. Yes. Okay. Not what I said then, but still. Cool. But I, I, I think what you do could work. Anyone listening, check the view docs just to make sure on that. <laughs> yeah. uh, the view documentation is excellent. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, 
Shall we continue? Go ahead. We've got the uh, the props and we've got events. What else can we do? Yeah. So the next thing I talked about was, you know, like sometimes you have, um, and and I think the, the thing that was helpful for people, the thing that people kind of commented on was I mentioned different UI cases that I would implement these different features or different opportunities to pass information. So the next one was like a, a modal component or a dialogue, one of those things that pops up. Like a lot of the content wrapping the dialogue is the same, but the content is what changes, right? And you could do that with a prop as well, but let's say you have a dialogue that needs like a title and then the content and then maybe like an action button. In that case, you might need to, you could pass in an object that has those three properties. You could register three props for title, content, and action button or whatever. Um, but in that case, you know, eventually you get a project manager that says, hey, we also need to change this or we need to add this new feature. And it just becomes more cumbersome. It's like too, too fragile. So in that case, something that Vue provides is slots where you can create a component, has all of the layout that you want, and then the content that you want to be flexible or, or yeah, customizable. Uh, you can put the um, slot tag that view gives us. And then that just ends up being like, you can to consume that in a parent, you get your child component tag. That's just like, let's call it dialogue tag. Uh, you have your dialogue opening tag and then your dialogue closing tag and whatever content you put in between those two tags, opening and closing tag, that will be placed wherever the slot is. And so that's really nice because now in my parent component in like parent one, I can have, you know, my title, my content, my button. And then in another parent, like parent two, I can have another dialogue, but have it say either a different title or no title, or maybe like an image. Um, it can take whatever. So yeah, that's, that's pretty flexible and useful. We, we use slots a lot. Kind of the example you gave when we need to show dialogue messages, uh, we just have a modal component and we just drop in the, the values that we need to show or any other uh, components that we want to insert inside of this thing. But it keeps the core functionality of locking the background of the screen, uh, having the window centered, things like that. Yeah, it works really well for anything that you need the same layout. So even like page wrappers or something like that. Now, what's the difference um, between the standard slot and scope slots? Yeah, so that was kind of the next the next part of the conversation is um, you have a standard slot, which is kind of, it's kind of like a dumb component, which takes, it provides a layout to the parent and then the parent can pass down the content. But then you have this concept of scope slots, which I think takes a while for people to kind of get, but it's essentially, essentially what you, what you need is like, I need my, my child component has some sort of logic. So in the utensils library, for example, we take a, take advantage of scope slots for this promise, like async await uh, component. And the async await component accepts a prop of a promise, and then it wants to provide the information about that promise, about what's going on in the component. So with a promise, you have kind of three things that you really need to care about. One is the pending state. So you can sh you know show like a loading animation or whatever. Um, you have the results and then you have on occasion the error could have happened, right? So this child component will accept a promise and then it will invoke that promise. And while it's um, while it's waiting for that promise to resolve, it now has three pieces of data, three pieces of reactive data um, in the component. One is the, the pending state, one is the results and one is the error and it would be it's beneficial for the parent to know what uh, the status is of those states so the parent can provide the promise but then i want to kind of listen for changes in the pending status or changes in the error or if there was um, or if we get the results and the other thing that scope, scope slots provide is um, the syntax is kind of interesting so you you use slots the same way you have your child slot, but you kind of use the, the views template tag to access that information. The way you access it is the child component that's maintaining the status that has a state will also have a slot tag 
and then it will bind any information that it wants to provide to the parent using v-bind. So v-bind pending equals pending or v-bind and then you provide an object with pending results error, right? By binding to the slot, now the parent can have access to that bound information inside of the slot. Is this making sense? Is this Yeah, I'm still sort of trying to get my head around it. As, just like you okay. described, as I've understood it, it's basically the parent now has access to something that's changed within the child component that it's bound to. Exactly. So so where where slots are beneficial because I want to put, you know, I want to pass in this kind of like super customizable, flexible content, the parent can provide that slot content and then the child can kind of provide the data that goes into that template. So it's kind of like a callback function. You can think of it where, which way would it go? I guess the the parent would provide the data for the function to run, or no, sorry, the child would provide the func- the data for the function to run and then provide that data to the parent and then the parent can like invoke it by calling by by placing the slot content and then they can use that data so like sort of like parameters again that's in a podcast that's probably not super helpful with explaining maybe some people get it that way it's one of the can things you think you of any real life examples yeah so so this is the the sort of like the utensils async await component is my favorite example because there's cases where let's say you have a page right you have a a blog, and then you have a user's profile page, right? Both of those, both of those pages need to make an HTTP request or like a fetch request and get the data back. But the the actual result or the markup for both of those pages is going to be different. So on the template or on the component that that um, is responsible for rendering those pages, you can do the same logic in both places. You can have uh, information about the loading state. You can have information about the results. You can have information about the error. And then you can copy that data in, and logic into your profile component, right? And then you have kind of that shared data in two places. And that's fine. But if you want, you can abstract that logic away into this sort of uh, scope slot component that is responsible for just taking a promise and, and invoking the promise and then managing the pending status and then providing the error or results to whatever parent is using it uh, so that the logic for just handling the promise is now in one place rather than in two different places. And the data from the results is available in the parent by using the scope slot. So I would have like uh, prof- or I would have like uh, the blog post page open like in, uh, uses the async await component and then uses the scope slot or provides the provides the you know the fetch request and then uses the scope slot and then the scope slot provides me in the parent component with the pending state the results and the error and now in this parent component showing the blog post I can say if loading show a loading spinner otherwise if there's an error show an error message. Otherwise, we can assume we have the results. So then we show the template for the uh, the blog post. And then in the profile page, we can kind of do the same thing. We can have the profile page wrapper content, and then we can go, we can use the async await component, provide the fetch request for the profile. And then in the slot content, I can check if it's pending. I can check if there's an error and show an error. Or I can assume that there's a result and then show the results for the profile. Does that help clear it up? Yeah, yeah, I get the, <laughs> the concepts. And I'm one of those details people. I'm trying to imagine the actual code details. So I'd have to sit down and play with it. But no, I, yeah, I get the concept. It makes sense to me. Yeah, this is this is one that takes us. I think this is the most complicated concept. Um, once you get it, it's super powerful. But uh, it takes looking at it a couple times. Awesome. I'm looking at your VA sync component on Vutensils right now, trying to map what you're describing. Yeah, I think I linked to the source code. Well, maybe the source code is not the best one for that. That because that uses a render list component as well, which is a whole different topic. Mm. But yeah, I think I don't know. It's like it's really worth understanding because it's a good way to compartmentalize complex logic into one place, but then be able to reuse 
kind of the the results of that logic in several different places with several different um, markup requirements. Right. One of the most popular pairings for Vue on the front end is Laravel or PHP on the back end. If you're setting up and running a PHP app, then why hassle with all the back end config? Instead, count on Cloudways. Cloudways provides a solution that will have you up and running quickly. They offer exceptional performance and reliability and 24-7 support. So your website or your web app, which is probably crucial to your business, will run in an environment designed for it. Go run it on Cloudways. If you use the code DEVCHAT, you'll get 30% off for three months. Let's move on, shall we? Let's go ahead. So we've got our slots now, uh, which are awesome. What, What else can we do to make components talk to each other? So I think... For the most part, that covered um, all of the, like, that covered most of the parent-child relationship stuff. I know Steve is saying that you can do, like, we talked about prop drilling and, like, listening from grandparents. But there's oftentimes that you need to communicate from one component way over in one place, part of the application, uh, and another component way over in another. And there's not a direct, like, ancestor tree, right? So... What I talked about in or the the example I gave in the talk was notifications. Those little like you know some people call them toast notifications or I don't know what else you might call it, but the the little pop ups that you get maybe in the top right corner of the app or the bottom center, bottom left, whatever top center, um, little notifi- just little like notices. An example or a pattern for this, a lot of people. I don't know. This was one where a lot of people came up to me and didn't know about it. This is one that some people came up or someone I was talking to before I gave my talk uh, was hoping that I didn't talk about this because it's kind of, it's, it's the wrong pattern in many cases, but I still think it's the right pattern in a few. So it's called uh, an event bus pattern. And essentially what you do is view has a really awesome event system where you can uh, emit custom events in one place and listen to those events in another place, like a parent-child relationship. And you can use this, you can use this system on its own by creating a new view instance. So you have your you have the view instance, the like new view constructor uh, for your application. And then in a file, you can in a separate file, you can have a, a n- another new view instance. So we'll call it like notifications. And you can export that that notifications view instance from that file. So now what I can do is I can take this notifications export and I can import it anywhere in my application. At the root, at the very like outermost app component is where I'll usually do this for notifications, is import that notifications event bus and then use the V dollar sign on to listen to a custom event like new notification or add or whatever. And then in that uh, root application, I can have the logic that when I listen, whenever I receive this event, uh, do something to make you know the pop-up show. So, so now the the actual toast service or notifications, the actual markup is happening just in the root of my application. So, yeah, yeah I mean, the the most important thing is like just in the root of my application. That's where all the markup is for like showing showing the actual events, right? And then it has some logic that like as long as maybe I have an array and for every item in the array, it shows a little event, little bubble. And then I have some logic that says, hey, every time the notifications receives this custom event, push a new notification to that array. And then over, you know, maybe the user can close it and remove that item from the array. Or after three seconds, it just removes the item from the array, right? So now I can go to any other component anywhere in my app as far down or as far over to the left or up in the top right corner or whatever. And I can have a component that then imports that notifications uh, file or that notifications view instance, the event bus. And I can have an event listener, maybe like on a button click, right? Or, or an HTTP request failed. Uh, and I can say, hey, notifications event bus, use views dollar sign emit uh, method to now emit the custom event, so add notification or whatever. I can also pass in some some data for that event. Uh, and now now I have both sides of the puzzle where I'm listening in one place, I'm emitting in a in a completely separate place. And because I have this one shared event bus, uh, view can like 
the the communication can happen between those components. Well, that sounds efficient. It is efficient. Um, it can also lead to some problems if you abuse it or overuse it. And so that's where I say, you know, some people don't like it. I think for a notification service, it works well. Or if you're, or if you're like a library author, you don't always have access to the entire application state. So you can have your own little like application state. Literally the only place I use it is notifications and it works. I like it for that, but there's alternatives. So it's basically almost a, you know, we talk about how view and these types of frameworks use a shadow DOM. It's, do you think it's right to call it like a shadow view? <laughs> because that's basically what you're doing when you define your bus. It's a whole new view component or a view instance, shall we say, not component. Uh, you could call it a shadow view. <laughs> Sounds cool. I mean, that's the basic like, thing, yeah, but it, it is. It's, it's a secondary one that's sort of behind the scenes that you're just using to pass data back and forth. Yeah, it's isolated from the, the default view instance. But it's a new view. I mean, that's what your your initial declaration of the bus is a new view instance. Yeah. What is what is an example of a bad usage of event bus? I know that there was somebody saying, don't use this. What When is the time that you would look at a code base and say, I don't think event bus is the right solution for this? I know you only use it for notification, but when is, when is it obviously not correct? So let's say you wanted like... Um, this kind of goes ties into my next example, but let's say you wanted um, user logins on your app. Well, it might make sense to that you want to kind of like track information about the user across your entire application, right? So you could have an event bus that kind of listens for the user logged in event and the user logged out event to either you know provide the user object or clear that information. And then you could pass, but then you would like be passing around this this user event bus everywhere that you need, and you'd probably be listening to the user on login event so that you have access to the user information. And then there's a logout button, so you can emit the logout and, and all this stuff. And um, it's kind of like it's kind of like flipping the role, where instead of having you know in, in my event bus in my notifications, it worked well because I have one central place where the where the listening is happening, and then anywhere in my application I can do the emitting. But users, I might need to listen in multiple places, right, or have access to the information about the user in multiple places, and that's probably that's a good example of where it doesn't work well, because then you kind of get complicated logic and. Okay. Um, so the solution for that is probably when you, that's when you would probably want to reach for something like Vuex, where you have a global store and global state management. And you could make the argument that, yeah, you could handle notifications with Vuex and, and do some of the same stuff and be able to access the state from the root. Um, I like, I don't know. I, I like to, I feel like notifications is something where, the rest of my application doesn't need to know about the state of how many notifications there are going on at any given time, you know? So that's where I would use the event bus. But for a user, like I want to know when the user logs in, I might need to show the username in the header for some reason. And then maybe they go to their profile and I want to be able to edit their profile. So we want to show all of the user information. And then there's certain features that we want to show or hide based on uh, the user's roles. So, you know, I want access to that state as well. Um, so that's where uh, a global sort of state makes sense. And that's that's exactly what Vuex does. Okay. So before we dive into Vuex, if you wanted to go any more into it, an event bus is something for something that's a little more stateless. For example, the notification, it's just there for a couple seconds and it's gone. It's not anything you're wanting to store, but Vuex is used for something that's more stateful, like a user or data that's coming from an API or something like that. Is that correct? Um, I don't know if I would make that distinction because I think with a custom view instance, you could have its own stateful reactive sort of system. So you can mm. have a stateful event bus if you wanted. Um, I don't use it that way. Where I make the distinction is Anything that has like its own sort of isolated, well, actually the event bus is, is a good pattern specifically if you want to take advantage of an event-based system. So specifically emitting 
global events and listening to global global events. Uh, and Vuex has some of that as well. So, like I said, you can do that. But if you want to, if you want to have, um, if you want to take advantage of of Vue's events and also not, but not necessarily a global state, like more of an isolated state. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if there's a hard, fast rule for it. I just know that for notifications, I like the event bus and I don't like Vuex. Yeah, I I haven't used the event bus for notifications specifically like that. What I've what I've been doing is whenever a save uh, action occurs anywhere on my application, it emits a we're saving now, and then it emits a okay, we're done saving because it can take a couple seconds, and it's mm. not something that I w- I want to store in Vuex because it's not it's not a a piece of state that I care about. It's just something I want the the application to look slightly different for a second and then go back. Like having a yeah, a spinner, exactly. spinning loader or something like that. Yeah, that's a perfect example. Because then you know you could put that in Vuex and then like read from Vuex and have that loader or whatever. Um, but it becomes a little bit. It, it's kind of a, a personal preference thing that it, it becomes a little bit like muddying up this the Vuex information that you actually care about, <laughs> like important information. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it's it's messing with the the actual data that your application needs to work with as opposed to some temporary view logic yeah view is in the 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 website not yeah uh, framework yeah so so yeah moving on the example that i had given was exactly what i mentioned was with user accounts um anything where you have a lot of really like state or data that needs to be shared across the application that's where you would reach for Vuex and, and you need like multiple components um, across multiple ancestry, you know, trees to be able to kind of like read the information and update the information and have it be like reactive across the application. Vuex is awesome. So in the application that we that I'm working on at work, we we tend to keep the Vuex access to just the top level components, the views themselves, as opposed to the lower down components. Is that something that you yourself would do, or is this, or would you just allow Vuex access everywhere? That's a that's a good question. I think there's a couple different opinions on this. So you're you're basically like you have kind of a container component that reads this the information and then provides the information down via props. Right? Yes. Yeah. And that's a really good pattern in when you need to test things because every component that's a that's a dependency of that one container uh, can be tested on its own. It has it has no external dependencies. And so all it receives is props. And so when you test it, you know, you just set the certain props and you say, okay, with these props, I expect this display. So it's really good for that. I I do a little bit of both. Because sometimes, sometimes I just it's just like, let's say I, I have a component that work, that I want to put in two pages on my app that are completely different pages. Well, then I need to you know have two different containers that pass down the same props to that component and then listen to the same events or whatever. And then the container would have to run the same logic to update the the state or the the Vuex store, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I have something that is you know, I wanted to interact with the Vuex store, but all of the logic is kind of like self-dependent on that component. So I don't want, I don't necessarily need a container that provides that information down because it's only going to live in this component. Um, I don't have a good example, but there's times when I, when I just want um, some nested component to be kind of independent of its parent, but still anytime you use it, like anytime it, it's mounted to a page. It's going to make this HTTP request, and it's going to, you know, tell the global store what's going on with the results of it. I've seen I've seen arguments both ways, and they they're both valid. I think it's a matter of kind of understanding pros and cons and, and choosing. So let me give you an example. I think I that will address what you're talking about, and it's more of a I guess you could call it bottom up as compared to top down. So, uh, Lindsay, and you saw this presentation I gave at the Portland View Meetup two, three months ago. I forget when it was. So, in in my application, what we use a lot of is map getters and map actions. 
And so what, what that does is that gives your uh, component when you find a map getter, it basically treats it as something similar to how you defined it in your data object, in your data object within your, your component definition, and it becomes reactive. And then map actions correspondingly is basically treated as a method uh, or a function within there. And so the way it's set up, at least the way I have it set up and that works really well, and I, it addresses the, the issue you're talking there with having the same data available on multiple components is in the store, we have getters, actions, and then um, uh, mutations, obviously, you know, your standard setup for, for Vuex. But then everything is tied to what we call services. And this is the way we keep all of our data in sync. So if I make at the beginning, let's say in a mount hook, it'll kick off some functions that'll do what are called fetch actions. And so the fetch will pass, you know, you'll pass it the parameters that are needed for the particular API call. In the component, you make a call to your service, which is an Axios, uh, you know, request, uh, which goes out, does it, say for instance, does it get, returns it to your method, I mean, excuse me, to your action in your view state. So now you have that and you store that in state. And so then because you're using it, database your getters, so then your component, your getters has now been updated and so you can force your component will re-render, but it keeps your data in your component in your store in sync. And so then what you can do in, in your case is if you just have those map actions and getters assigned within your separate components, then they're keeping in sync sort of from, instead of having it passed down as props from a top level component, you're getting it from the store itself and everything's reactive. So that way you can use the same data easily across multiple components. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes um, accessing and updating data uh, convenient and easy. It it does make testing it a little bit tricky because then you end up having to kind of like mock your store. Yes, that's exactly um, what you have to do. You have to have a store mock um, yeah. that you import into your tests. And uh, But as long as your test your data structure isn't changing, then it's not an issue. If, if you're adding stuff, then you got to update your mocks. And that, you know that's an issue I've dealt with multiple times with tests where I have to go in and update my store mocks to update to match the changes in the store itself. Yeah. So you know, I guess it matters what's more important to you. But I like it. it it's one of those things I've gotten really used to of keeping my backend data in sync with my store and therefore in sync with, with my components. And then another thing I wanted to address with UX that you mentioned is uh, notifications. You talked about you like to use the event bus for notifications. So what I have is some separate um, alert components that are tied to you know particular some particular state definitions. So whenever I come back from if I save something or I delete something um, or I want to want to uh, send a specific notification, we usually use the little toasts at the bottom. Then I'll just call that in my action, I'll call that other component that's in a separate store just for notifications. That'll trigger everything in my toast will show. So it's all handled from, from UX without having to use something like the event bus. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, like I said, you can totally do that um, with UX and it, it works perfectly fine for notifications. I like the event bus because I feel like the the store putting notific like putting information about notifications in the store is it just feels well, it's not that I'm. It's not that I'm storing. I'm not storing anything in the store. It's just that since that's where my data updates are happening, so I've gotten mm -hmm. back from my API. I'm updating my store. Okay, now that I've updated my store, here, send this notification. It's not storing the notification. It's just ah, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Because that's where that's where I'm triggering everything is from the store as compared to the component. If that makes sense. Right. Right. Yeah. That, no, that makes sense for sure. And here's, here's another interesting uh, use of notification. And I guess you could use an event bus for this as well, is one of the things we want to do for a user experience, because we have some sort of complex forms with amounts of, you know, a good amount of data, is we wanted to alert the users if they go to leave a form, if they've changed a form and haven't saved any, and haven't saved their changes, you know, so they don't change, oh, I saved this. And then they go to leave and, oh, shoot, I lost all that data that I changed, you know, like closing a Word doc or something after tapping a whole bunch of stuff without having saved it. And so I had to figure out what to do. And so what I ended up doing was uh, in my components, 
um, I use a, um, I basically watch my data objects, however, which is how everything's mapped to my fields through a, an object. And whenever any changes are made, I set, I call a store function, just a generic function that's really not specific to the component that just says, okay, there's unsaved data. And then if they go to save the form, um, then that flag is set to uh, false. So there's no unsaved data anymore. So it's in the, in the store. So therefore, anytime they, I just listen to the events for when they click on, say, another tab or another item in the listing table at the bottom, you just a couple different places. And then I check that, that value in the store. And so if it's true, there's unsaved data, then I pop them a modal and say, hey, you've got unsaved data. Are you sure you want to go on? And they can choose to continue or they can cancel and go back right back to where they were. So it's just one little variable that's common across the whole app that's easily used to, to pop up a warning like that. Yeah, that's always a really nice um, user experience feature. You can pull it off. Yeah, the hard part is getting the listener and getting all that to work. But once you get that, then the rest of it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. We, I was just going to say we're getting kind of long on time here. Um, fortunately, we're basically at the end of my talk. There was one more feature that I had mentioned, which is the view.observable. Um, yeah, I don't know if you that I haven't delved into yet. Yeah, yeah it's kind of... So it came out in uh, version 2.6, and I think it was part of the... Um, well, 2.6 was kind of released as, I think, the first um, of the releases planning to transition towards the new major release, version 3. And um, so they added some features and made some changes so that um, as the syntax, you know, any of the syntax changes in version three, you can kind of like incrementally adopt in the minor versions leading up to it so that you don't, you don't actually end up experiencing breaking changes. But yeah, one of the things, one of the features they added was the view.observable constructor, which kind of surfaces uh, views reactivity API into its own isolated thing in the same way that view three is going to be um, providing that using, or at least in a similar way that view three is going to be providing that with their like reactive, whatever view hooks, whatever you want to call them. The nice thing about this is it's kind of like, I mean, you can think of it or you can treat it sort of like the event bus where you can create this observable thing in a file and then provide it to any component that wants to consume it or interface with it. And what observable does is if any of you are familiar with views reactivity system, you know, I can uh, access a comp I can access some data and then I can update it and anywhere that that data has been accessed, anywhere else that that data is being accessed will update as well as I make the change from the one place. So component A, component B, component C all are talking, or all are trying to access this data. Or I guess if we're talking about the reactivity system in 2.0, you have the data property, and then you know in your template uh, you have three inputs: input one, input two, input three, and they're all bound to that data. And if you change, if you change the data, like you type into uh, input three and you update the data, input one and two will also update. So that same concept can be achieved with views observable where you can kind of register or instantiate the observable and then provide it anywhere. And then when you read from it or when you get that data, you just get whatever the value is. And then when you set it and you update it, it will change that data, but anywhere else that's reading it will also be aware of that change. So the value that's coming from view.observable, view that could be in its own file that then gets imported into multiple components. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, and, and this, this sort of concept, again, like this is pretty much what the composition API is going to provide for us. In fact, someone at ViewConf gave a really interesting talk about using view as your backend, and everyone's like, what? View as your backend? That doesn't make any sense. But uh, he explained it in a way that like, because view is abstracting out its reactive its reactivity system uh, you can actually use it anywhere so even in a backend you can you know watch for changes on this data and react to changes to this data and then have a backend service like 
it's not it's not technically like view on the back end, but it's view reactivity system within the back end. So yeah, in the same way, like because it's surfacing this view reactivity system, technically like a React application could use it to read change or read data and watch for changes on that data and react to it. So when I usually think of reactivity, the first library tool that comes to mind that I've heard a lot about is RxJS. So this is is this basically mm-hmm. the same functionality within view as Rx? No, that's a good that's a good question. I think that's why in the composition API there was originally well they you know in two point six they originally called it view observable and then towards as they as they're migrating or as they are rolling out the composition API they they realized that there was some confusion there. It's not RxJS observables. It's just its own thing. I think uh, I know that Vue three uses proxies under the hood for its reactivity. I kind of imagine that Vue Observable does the same. Uh, and it just, yeah, basically, it's like a, a, a pub sub pattern for reading and updating information or objects or data or whatever. Does that answer your question? It's not observables in that like observables have this concept of subscribing to the observable and then watching for any changes and like piping that data into a new handler. It's literally essentially the same thing as view the current version of view. It's like the data function that returns an object with different keys and properties. You can think of it as a, as like that. And you can essentially read directly from the data or write directly to the data and anywhere else that's reading it will update respectively. So I guess I'm still hazy on the difference between this view observables and the way the data works now. Yeah. So the current reactivity system is built into a component. So I guess that's the difference is like uh, it abstracts that reactivity system into just like you can have a file that says, um, you know, const data equals uh, new view dot observable and then you pass in whatever the, the initial value is. So like an object or an empty object, or let's just say like a string called, you know, Austin is my name. And then I can import that observable from that file into any component. And I can say, you know, on this click, take this imported observable that will just say data or write data import. I'm importing the data from the observable file. Uh, I can have this click event listener and then directly say on click, you know, data dot or data equals a new value equals Steve. And then any component that is um, or anywhere that's accessing that data. So let's say within a computed, within a, a computed value will update respectively. And so anywhere that I was showing data, which was a name, which was originally Austin will now update to Steve. Okay, so that may, yeah, that makes sense. The way I picture it in my head is it's really similar to what you could do with UX and state in that you have an abstracted, a separate location for your data and you, re, and you can respond to it and update it with map actions and map getters, but just with a heck of a lot less code. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, in fact, I saw an article where someone was like, you don't really need UX anymore because we have observable, but I don't know. I also feel like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, yeah, yeah, I guess I can see it because it sounds like yes and no. I guess I'd have to play with it a little more because um, yeah. you wouldn't need mutations and then separation of actions for mutations because mutations can handle asynchronous calls. Or, I mean, excuse me, actions can handle asynchronous calls and mutations can't. So, yeah, yeah, I guess I'd, I see how it works. I just have to play with it a little more. Yeah, it's worth checking out. Um, that's most of the content that I covered in my talk. A couple of things that I didn't have time to cover, which I actually didn't even remember, but one one thing worth looking into for communication between components that Vue provides is the provide inject API, where you can provide from some some like deep deep ancestor to some deep deep descendant by injecting that data, and then also the the Vue three composition API stuff I didn't get into a lot of it looks a lot like the view observable thing. So it should be fun to play with that. Oh, cool. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. 
If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. Well, thank you so much for the, uh, the recap of your talk from ViewConf. Let's, let's move into picks now. Since Austin's been talking the whole time for the most part, Steve, uh, would you like to start with your picks? I would if I had one. Believe it or not, I'm pickless for today. <laughs> oh, no. And scrounging thing. What can I use for picks? And I don't really have anything. If something comes to mind in the next couple of minutes, I'll I'll jump in. But uh, can't think of anything right now, believe it or not. Okay, uh, I'll go next. So I have two picks today. The first one is at the end of February last year, uh, there was a documentary put out about Vue.js. I have been meaning to talk about it since then as my pick, and I keep forgetting. So if you go onto YouTube, it is on there. It is the Vue.js, the documentary by Honeypot. And it's, a, it's 20 to 30 minutes talking about Evan Yu starting at Google, starting Vue, and just kind of how it expanded from there and talking to a bunch of the, the people involved with it. Uh, I know they talked to some of the core team members. They talked to uh, some of the people teaching about Vue, like Scott Talinsky. So it's, it's just really cool. I enjoyed it. So that's my first pick. The second one is... So this really cool site made by Wes Boss, um, some of you may have heard of it already, called uses.tech. He got the idea from every, all these different developers having their own slash uses page on their own websites or wherever. And so he, he created a central repository that developers could go enter in their information uh, and link back to their own website at their slash uses. So you can go on there, you can see, uh, I think he's got right now 325 different developers, and then you can sort down by what different people do. Are they a mentor? Do they use Java? Do they use Kotlin? Do they use Linux? And you can see which country they're from, which phone OS they prefer, and which desktop OS they prefer. So it's kind of cool. And that's just uses.tech. I'll make sure those are in the show notes. Yeah, I actually watched that uh, uh, the documentary the other day. Uh, sometime last week, it's really well done. I mean, in terms of... I mean, the content obviously is really good, but just in terms of the production value... You know, the video and how they transition everything and the way it's all put together. I was really professional, really well done. Yeah, I was I was very excited when that came out and it was such a high quality. I'd seen one uh, about Elixir as well by the same team, but it was a lot shorter. So I wasn't expecting something as long as what they put out for view. So Austin, what picks do you have? Yeah, I'm going to have one pick. And I think, uh, Lindsay, if you're not familiar, you're, you're going to like it because I am an... Ubuntu user, and therefore there's a lot of things that are great about it. There's some things that are not available, but I found a product called uLauncher. You can find it at uLauncher.io, and it's just an application launcher for Linux. Uh, I think with with Mac, there's something similar called I want to say Alfred, but it's cool. It has a bunch of extensions, and it basically you can you have a shortcut so anywhere like globally on your computer. I think you can press like control shift and then the space bar, or at least that's what I have. And then you can type any application that you have and it'll launch that application for you, which is simple enough, but then it has a bunch of extensions for things like you can use a calculator, you can do, um, I think there's like VS code doc, or you can do like a documentation search. I probably use it the most for an emoji search and copy. So there's a whole bunch of cool things. Um, I'd recommend it to any uh, Linux user. Yes, emojis are of crucial importance. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, like it's just great having it right there. You just search for it; and it's right there. Although the emoji picker is is not as good as other emoji pickers, I would say. Awesome. Does that replace? In my case, I use GNOME. Does that replace my uh, when I press the whatever key that is, the Windows key, uh, to get all of my things? And it says type to search. Would that that would replace this, right? In my in my work uh, I mean, in my work in my workflow, not not the actual screen. Yeah, I'd say it could, because um, you know the the GNOME sort of application thing. I don't think it would replace. So with GNOME, you can kind of like choose which of your application windows is currently open and like switch windows that way. I don't think it would replace yeah. that. It's an application launcher like uh, 
Oh, actually, let me see. No, I think what it does it is it it launches a new ver a new instance of the application. So it doesn't it doesn't it's not like to select which window is currently running or which application is currently running. But it's like Got if it. I want to open a new a new like let's say VS Code is not open, I want to I want to launch it. I can use it with uLauncher. Again, that's that's actually not what I use it for mo- more. It's like having a quick access calculator or an emoji picker or I don't know bunch of simple things. Yeah, I think you can add like scripts to make it kind of like you can add your own sort of like macros to make it do what you want. Yeah. So it's like a productivity tool. I, I see in one of their um, examples that you can open up a particular folder. You just type in the path to it. Um, yeah, so yeah, there's a whole lot. Awesome I, I don't, I haven't gotten nearly as deep as you can go, but that's why I'm picking it. I think other people would yeah. probably like it a lot. This is excellent. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this uh, discussion about communication through view components. If you would like to hear more of our episodes, you can find us at viewsonview.com or on Twitter at viewsonview, or you can find us at the, the main website for devchat.tv. Hope you all have a great day. Have a wonderful week. Adios. See ya. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.